You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, today we're going to talk about fragrances. Oh yeah, fragrance. And here's one I love at Christmas time uh-huh. when you come in somebody's house and you smell the pine oh, tree. Yeah, it's Don't a wonderful you love smell. That? It tells you something really special is coming. And it's very unique to Christmas. Well, today we're going to have a fragrance that's very unique to the tabernacle, and we'll talk about that today on I'm More, More Than, Than Ink. Well, good morning. I hope you're having a great morning. This is Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And uh, you've joined us on More Than Ink. And we are walking our way through Exodus. Marvelous passage of coming out of uh, Egypt and going to the land of promise. And uh, we are, uh, boy, how far through are we on Exodus? Well, we're like three quarters of the way through. Three quarters of the way. Because we're, we're almost to the completion of all the instruction that Moses receives on the mountain. Right. And in a couple of weeks, we get to that famous scene when he comes down the mountain and finds the people worshiping Plot the spoiler. calf. Plot yeah. spoiler, yeah. But we're still, we've been on the mountain uh, on the show now for weeks and weeks and weeks. Well, yeah, we, got, we came out of Egypt. We crossed the Red Sea. We got to Mount Sinai. Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai. Right. Everyone else stayed down except Joshua. He was kind of halfway up, kind of hard to tell. And, and, and he's been up there ever since. And we're still up there, but we're coming right to the end of that now. Well, he got invited him up there back in chapter mm-hmm. 24, if you remember, after that, um, that covenant ceremony right. where they slaughtered the ox and they made the offering and Moses sprinkled the blood and the mm-hmm. people all said, yep, we will, we're we'll in, obey, we're in, we're we'll in we believe you, God. Right. And then God invites Moses and the elders up on the mountain and yes. we have that crazy passage where it says and they saw god had that dinner supper up there yeah, and yeah. they ate in his presence yeah, yeah. and then moses stays on the mountain to receive the tablets from god yeah so, so we're coming to the end of we've moses, been there for a long time moses stay on the top of the mountain and uh and and it's been dominated in the last several weeks with god's instructions about god's tent which is mm-hmm. meant to be in their midst as they travel and what's gonna what it's gonna look like What's uh, how is it decorated? You know everything that's fitting and instructional about and heaven and God. And who serves in it? And who serves in it? Everything and yeah. what they do. And so, we, we wrapped up last week with the discussion about the um, the incense. The incense. The, the, the altar of incense. incense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Picturing our prayers to God. So today we we kind of pick up the last few pieces of the tabernacle instructions. Last few pieces. Uh, next week we'll get to God's final words to us from the top of the mountain. But this is the, really the last stuff about the tabernacle proper. So uh, last few details. We're in chapter 30. If you're following with us, we're using the uh, English Standard Version if you want to read along with us. But we are going to pick up in the middle of chapter 30 because the incense talk we had last time did the first 10 verses and the last handful of verses. So we're right in the middle. So we're looking at the census tax in the middle of chapter 30, verse 11. So should we just jump? Well, yeah, but does it strike you that this is a funny place to insert this? Seems like it. Like, wouldn't you put this kind of at the very end now after everything else is done, here's how you got to pay for it. Yeah. But this is, but this is, yeah, we'll see. This does have an interesting connection to the tabernacle. Okay. So this, that's why I think he's including it somewhere, but this is a funny place to do it. But here we go. We'll, we'll talk about that as we go. Okay, so let's read. Verse, verse 11 of chapter 30, you want to read? Sure. I can drink my coffee okay. while you're doing that. <laughs> 
I'm starting verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who's numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when they give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. Mm -hmm. So, a, a census tax. but it's, That's such an interesting combination of it, practical it money matters and profound spiritual reality. Yeah, so I mean, let's talk about the practicality of it. I okay. mean, this is this is a way in which, I mean, just very obviously, you pay for the expense of what it's going to take to run God's right. tent, his right. tabernacle, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, but it's interesting, it's not a proportional tax. It's not like someone who has more money pays more for it. It's it's like the same price for every head. And it's a puny amount. It's tiny, yeah. It's tiny. It's a half a shekel. Yeah. Well. I, you know, a few years ago when we were in Israel, a shekel was worth what, like twenty-four cents. Uh, maybe I mean, it was just yeah. so I have a shekel is twelve yeah. cents. This is, then. this is small. So, so don't misread this. Although he says that this is how you should give a ransom for his life, you say, right. well, is that all it costs? Like a dime? If I give a dime <laughs> when they count the heads, well, you're not actually purchasing your salvation. It's not about so it's the not money. That. However, what it does do, he says it at the end. It says that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord. It's an right. interesting kind of. Um, like a tokenized connection between right. their connection with the tabernacle and what it's all about. And, and, and there's another important thing here, too. It not just kind of symbolically ties them to the tabernacle, but it, it says basically as a ransom for your life, there's something about the tabernacle mm -hmm. that this little tiny piece of money is telling you right. is responsible for you being alive. <laughs> right. That's the connection. Well, that here. word ransom, right? You pay a ransom. To right. save a life or to redeem yeah. a life. Yeah. And, you know, I was attracted by that phrase that we just read in verse 11 about uh, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance That's before the Lord. Now, yeah. I, on first reading, you might think that's to remind the Lord. It's not. It's not. No. It's to bring the people to right. remembrance when they come before the Lord. People of Israel to remembrance before so the Lord. So there's something right. about the giving of this really a token it's a token offering yeah it's a is token. to remind them that they are god's ransomed ones yeah each and every one of them it's not about how much they're worth right but it's about the fact that god ransomed them yeah and so as you look at the larger camping of the tents of israel with god in the middle in his tent you could look at this token that you give and say there's something about my very existence <laughs> that is owed to the presence of this God in this tent in our midst. So there, it's, it's this life connection. And it's, although the amount seems trivial, what is purchased is not trivial. No. Their lives have been purchased by God himself. And this is the reminder that, that there was a price paid on their behalf. That's why they're doing this. But but it's silly to think that the, the actual shekel, half shekel, really does no, it. No, it's not at all. Yeah, it's and, just a token. And I, you know, I looked around a little bit. If you look in Psalm 49, he says, you know, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of mm -hmm. his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Right. He's talking about rich right. people can't buy their, their way out. 
So this really is a tokenized connection about a price that was paid for them. And, and you know, we go fast forward in the New Testament and the price that was paid for us was, was the blood of Christ himself. Right. And all through the Old Testament, God proclaims himself as being the redeemer. And redeem always means to pay the price of the ransom. Right. And he's the one that does that. So this is the constant reminder when they're counted about the fact that their lives are theirs because of what God has done for them. Yeah. There's another interesting connection, and we miss this many times, and that, that's the fact that in ancient times, you only numbered what belonged to you as a possession kind of thing. So if you had a flock of sheep, you count your sheep, you don't count someone else's sheep. It's a sign of ownership in that sense. And here, God wanted to make sure that when the people's heads were counted, that they didn't misrepresent this and think, well, Moses is counting us, so Moses must own us, like mm-hmm, shepherd mm-hmm. and sheep. So it's emphasized again and again and again, this is given to the Lord. This is given it's to the, the Lord. So when they are counted and this half shekel is given, they'll say, this isn't because Moses owns me, but because in a real sense, I belong to God himself. So that's so, a connection. Okay, so let's talk for just a minute, back in verse 12, when it says that to give the ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among Yeah, them. what's that about? So there's something protective happening yeah. here or a reference to something else in another place in... in um, Numbers, when it's describing the Levites camping around, it says mm-hmm. so that there would be no wrath among them. Yes. Right? So yes. it's the, this money goes to the Levites for the actual cost of the service of the, of the tabernacle. Sure. But, um, but the presence of the Levites encamped around the tabernacle serves as a reminder to the people, they're guardians of the holiness. Yep. Right? Yeah. And if you transgress the holiness of God, God responds in wrath. Yeah, and there are a couple of biblical accounts of that. I we won't take the time to go into no, those no. here, but it, but it's worth thinking about. God well, says it right here, and and you know in their in their most recent memory, when okay, were, right. when were there plagues? <laughs> well, in Egypt, and that's when Egypt was defying God Himself. So it's a larger statement of the fact that life that's lived in concert with God's plan for us right. is life. Life lived apart from God is a plague. <laughs> so. That's that's well. According to Romans, we live under the wrath of God. We live under the wrath of God. Yeah. So this is it's his way of saying don't don't ever forget that in your midst I camp in your midst I'm in your midst and I'm the one that got you out of Egypt and I'm the one that gives you life. So remember, you are my ransomed people. Remember, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it occurs to me as well, uh, much later on, King David's reign, late in his reign, Mm -hmm. right? he, He numbers he numbers the people. Even his chief commander, Joab, says, do you really want to do this? Okay, so why does he ask that question? Well, yeah. Because why is David counting the people? That's right. And and he's counting people. Again, You know, like I was saying, it, it implies the fact that he owns them. And he's counting his strength and stuff like that. Right. But in that particular case I'm thinking of, he never takes a ransom. I mean, he never takes a, sh- a half no, shekel. No, he's counting his soldiers to he's make sure he soldiers. has enough to go to war. Yeah. And so, in a way, he's saying, "I'm a king. I own you. You're mine. Right. You're my. You're my show power. And I'm strong because look how yeah. mighty my army is. Yeah. But I'll just point out, even in that whole process, and that's a bad motivation, because God <laughs> says, "Don't count your strength. You know, count on the right. Lord." But He says, even that motivation, He never actually asked for this census tax in that. Mm. Oh, David didn't. No. And yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Well, no, because what the Lord judges him for was for relying on his own strength. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Makes me wonder if he'd done that counting and had he taken this this half shekel tax mm. to remind people that their life comes from God, then maybe his motivations would have been so twisted. 
But yeah, that's speculation. But Joab, his commander, says, David, you don't really want to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they knew. They knew that was wrong. Well, should we push on to the, oh, I think we have the bronze to. basin? I think yeah. we have to because we just don't want to run out of time, especially no. when we get to the anointing oil at the end of the chapter. No, you know, we're, <laughs> we're cleaning up the last specified things in the tabernacle. So we go to this new item that's found in the courtyard outside, you know. Outside yeah, and this, this is very late in the list, right? Late, Why wasn't really this in included earlier when we were talking about know. the other stuff in the courtyard? Well, let me read this first. Okay. We're at the bronze basin, verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze and with its stand of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar. And you shall put water in it and with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. And when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister or to burn, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die Die. (laughs) there's the plague again they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die says it again it shall be a statute forever to them even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations so there's a big wash basin there Mm -hmm. between the altar where they burned animals and the entry into the tabernacle proper there was a big basin of water well from a very practical point of view the slaughtering of animals is messy work well, you know, so very practical. Very practical. <laughs> there needs to be a place for washing. There would be blood all over the priests. All over the place. Yeah, yeah. But also symbolically, right? The work of the priests is the offering the sacrifice to make atonement for the people, the cleansing of sin. Yes. And so there's a symbolic thing going. Very on symbolic. Too. Very symbolic. Yeah, very symbolic. And does it strike you that um, that it says that they shall wash their hands and their feet? In verse 19, yeah. when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister, so there they're going on their feet and here they're coming near to minister with their mm-hmm. hands. Mm-hmm. And then it's reiterated again in verse 21, wash their hands and their feet so yeah. that they may it's not It's very die. specific. Yeah. So maybe that connects back to the census tax here to the... Um, to the kind of the wrapping up of all things, this warning against transgressing the holiness of God mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is a deserves a death penalty. Yeah. Right, yeah. that the the uh, the plague among them here wash so that you may not die, and then even when we get to the anointing oil, anybody who uses it in any other fashion will be cut off yeah. from their people. Yeah, it's it, because it's peculiar just to this purpose. That's right. the holy. That's the this set apart for this purpose. Serious business. Yep, yep. You know, just out of curiosity, <clears throat> Jim's into trivia. <laughs> <laughs> I know this well. <laughs> well, well I, I look for, you know, from, from here on out in the book, actually, we're going to start making this stuff in a couple right. of chapters, and that'll dominate the book to the end of the end of Exodus. But in the part where they're making this, I flip forward to see about the actual narrative when they're actually making this bronze basin. Mm-hmm. And you know where they got the source of the bronze to make the basin? The hand mirrors of the women. Right. <laughs> There's something in that. I don't Isn't know that quite what that means, but they, the Egyptian women that they uh-huh, yeah. that they those plundered the mirrors. Egyptian women. Yeah. They brought those bronze mirrors. They didn't, out they didn't the make desert. them themselves, and they they were being used by the women who ministered. Right, said, right? but it was those bronze mirrors, and so in a and it's an interesting sense that they gave up their ability to look, look at, at themselves. themselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. in, in order to make this bronze basin for washing, I guess. Fast well, fast. okay, so let's track that for just a minute, as long as we're into the sure, trivia, because trivia. this is a big open basin and a clear a basin full of clear water that's smooth on the top yeah can serve as a mirror but what's it looking at it's looking at god looking at god looking looking at heaven straight up to heaven yeah yeah (laughs) yeah this also reminded me um 
you know, in the Psalm 24, it says, you know, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in his presence? Right. Like here, you know, he who has clean Clean hands hands and a pure pure heart. heart. Yeah. So this imagery here is not lost on Israel from this point forward. You you cannot come into the presence of God all messed up like that. Well, clean hands symbolic of cleansed of what you are doing. Yeah. Clean actions. Yeah. The work of your hands. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's it's worth noting before we leave the Browns Basin, since we're short on time. We're uh, good. We're good. There, it's only used <clears throat> to cleanse the hands and feet of the priests. Right. It's, it's not, not a general washing station. It's not a general washing <laughs> station, and there are no baptisms here. So I just want to be clear about the fact that this has a peculiar use, and it's specified right here very clearly. Okay, and that's only important right here in the culture where we live. Yes, but just right. in case you were wondering about it. <laughs> So there you go. That's what this is for. So should we move? Let's move on to yeah, the anointing let's go oil. Into the anointing One of the oil, last details about the tabernacle stuff here. Yeah, why don't you read for okay, us? Okay, so starting in verse twenty-two, the Lord said to Moses, "Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, five hundred shekels of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much—that is two hundred and fifty—and two hundred fifty of aromatic cane, and five hundred of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil." So again, we have a recipe, just a like recipe we did with the for the incense. anointing oil, yeah. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and mm-hmm. the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its mm. stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. Mm. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from you. his people. So this is a, the warning again. a very exclusive formula used for one purpose. But it's sweet. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's very heavy sweetness. Heavy sweet. Yeah. Uh, myrrh is not particularly sweet smelling, but cinnamon is. Cinnamon. Aromatic cane and cassia. Yeah. Those are sweet smelling things. Isn't cassia kind of cinnamon? <laughs> it is. I, I, yeah. And I'm not sure related. how those terms are used in yeah. the we don't know scripture, if it's the same. but here they seem to be two different things. But we can buy cassia cinnamon today. Yeah, but the point is, is this is a this is a formula that God does not want used for any other purpose. Right. That's why He calls it holy. That means set apart for a purpose. You'll only use it for this anointing, and it's a it's anointing. Uh, not only people and priests, but it's anointing Furniture. The, everything, all this stuff that we've been talking everything about building. Everything that is most holy, right. that is used in the service of the holy God. Right. And and so in the imagery right here, this this anointing oil, in a sense, is a way of God sort of putting his fingerprint on mm-hmm. everything, saying, this is mine and being used for me. This is mine and being used for me. This is mine. So everything he's putting his thumbprint on with this anointing oil is something that he has established, and it's for his purposes. That's why it's holy. It's set apart oh, for him. And that fragrance clings. It clings, exactly. Right, so, yeah. and you know, if you think about that, a smell can evoke in us a tremendous sense of memory and mm-hmm. association and emotion. Uh, right. <laughs> I, could, I could illustrate that in a number of ways. But, you know, we have certain seasons of the year where when you smell something, like you smell evergreen and you go, yeah. ah, 
Christmas or you smell yeah. turkey in the oven and you think oh, Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. So yeah. that this touches us at a at a a sensual sensory so level. so god's connecting us to his tabernacle mm. more than just visually but it's invisible sensory but yeah. it's in a sensory way yeah. yeah and i have to believe that as you walk through the camp of israel when they camped and god's tent is in the center of it if you walked around the edges of the camp you'd smell you know, people cooking stuff but when you got to the center the smell would come up well it's something you get to the center something different is going on it here it smells stronger and yeah. stronger and stronger and when his priests would walk past you going between the tents you could smell that they've been doing something important in terms of intercessory for the people themselves so it would remind them constantly whether they saw them or not remind them that something's going on for their benefit this is not the only smell you would smell right you would smell the scent of burning flesh or cooking meat depending on whether it was a whole burnt offering or a an offering that was meant to be eaten yeah Uh, you know there all of those things mingled and that may be some of the significance of the myrrh here which was a spice mm. that was used in burials yeah so um it's a fascinating or in the birth of jesus uh, well he was given it was given as a gift it was given as a gift yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was pricey. but anyway it's a very particular fragrance and it goes on everything and it says when you smell this this is holy yeah and and it's it's actually a very stable recipe so as they go on from generation to generation to generation they will smell the same thing they'll associate it right and your kids will associate it and your grandchildren will associate it this is all connected in the presence of god in our midst and what the priests do on our behalf in order to allow Mm. us to have life with god in our midst and and so that's why he's saying this is very exclusive i don't want you to associate this with anything else you do so if you go out to a fancy dinner you know and you decide to smell really good don't use this perfume. right this is not your aftershave this is not yeah this is not for you and that's what he's trying to say this smell is not for you this is for me this glorifies who i am and you're not going to use it for anything else to glorify anything else okay and it gets poured on or rubbed on or applied to those who are being consecrated to serve the Lord God as yes, priests. That they may serve me as priests. Yeah. This is God. That's why I say it's like God's thumbprint on them. He's put his thumbprint on them, anointing oil with a particular smell and says, This one is serving me. That's their purpose. That's why they're holy. That's why they're set apart for something else. And this won't be associated with any other actions or any other purpose except for serving me. Yeah, I think it's a great picture. So if you take your concordance and you look for fragrance or aroma and look at the new testament references it will take you straight to second corinthians 2. that's exactly (laughs) right it's pretty Uh, pretty profound you know we've been saying all along that everything about this tabernacle points to mm-hmm. God in the person mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ, his son. So well, let me just read this to sure, you. Yeah, because it's Paul a great says connection. in 2 Corinthians 2, I'm going to read uh, 14 to 16. Thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us through the us. sweet aroma of what? The knowledge of him in every place. Mm. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. Mm. Who's doing the sniffing? Mm. God Mm. is. Yeah, yeah. It smells good to God that we, his people, who are called to be priests, as Peter says, we're a a kingdom of priests to serve God. Yeah. We smell like something to God. We smell like Jesus. Yeah. 
And yet people pick up this fragrance. They do. And for some, it's very good news. And for some, it's very bad news. Right. The, the imminence of judgment comes in that mm-hmm. smell as well. So, so yeah, we, you know, I was thinking when you were quoting that, I was thinking, well, but we're not ironic priests. We're not related to Aaron. And yet we have this fragrance that here it says, if you put this fragrance on anyone but the priests, they're going to die. Well, it's, but, but it's, you, you mentioned it. We are all priests. That's right. Peter yeah. says we are royal priesthood, that royal we might priesthood. declare the excellency of him who called us out of and, darkness into his marvelous right. light. Right, there it is. We're a ransomed people and we smell like the one who so, ransomed so us. Just like these priests right here who have a knowledge of the presence of God, right. we do too. And that fragrance envelops us as well and communicates to a world that we've been in contact with the living God. And that only can be applied to those who are designated by God and devoted to God. Set apart as holy for his purpose. Ah, yeah. So we probably yeah. can't finish without saying that the New Testament explains to us that the oil, this this fragrance, mm. is the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit. That right. God himself applies. Right. He indwells us and smells through us right. that way, brings the fragrance to life in us. And that indeed is the newness of the new covenant, the pouring out of his spirit. And all we're going to talk about that more next week. We'll talk a lot more <laughs> about that. Well, we're, we're coming short on time and we're also coming short to Moses's time on the top of Mount right. Sinai. And, and next time we'll actually get some closing words from God as he closes out this dialogue with Moses. It's more like a monologue than anything else as he closes out on the top of the mountain. And he'll, he'll pick up a few topics that are, um, they're not trivial at all. I mean, they're, they're great emphasis. But I ask you this before we get to that. If God was going to have a closing comment about something he wanted to doubly emphasize mm-hmm. before Moses turned around and went back down the bottom of the mountain, what would he emphasize? And we'll see what he does next week when we go into chapter 31 and find out what's God's closing words before Moses goes down to the bottom of the mountain and everything falls apart and, and lugging the stone tablets <laughs> and lugging the stone tablets and the whole nine yards yeah so so that'll come up next week you don't want to miss that's really the exciting conclusion of moses with god at the top of the mountain you'll go up again we'll see why later but this is the end of this large section of god telling him how to build a tabernacle and how to support god's presence so i'm jim and i'm dorothy and we're glad you're with us we hope you're enjoying us i am i'm just having a blast oh i love this <laughs> <laughs> so as we come down from the mountain next week Join us here on More More Than Than Inc. More Than Inc. is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. Oh, options. (laughs) I like options.